grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey, 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 welcome to tonight's California Haunts Radio. My name is Charlotte, and I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I think I have a great show lined up tonight that you're really going to really enjoy and get into. Um, my name is Charlotte. I am also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We have investigators up and down the state of California. We're 35 strong, actually. See, I lost my place. <laughs> Uh, we have investigators up and down the state of California. We're 35 strong, like I said. We also have investigators in Oregon, Washington, Nevada, and parts of Hawaii. So I'm glad to have you guys here. Uh, you can visit the radio website at www.CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. Or if you need anything paranormal or you want to check out uh, the work we've done the last 18 years, you can check us out at www.CaliforniaHaunts.org. Tonight, straighten my head out. My head always looks crooked. Look at that. I think I've got a crooked head. There we go. I think my head's crooked. There we go. Now that's wearing and tear over 18 years. Um, we got a great show for you tonight. Teresa St. Francis is with us, and she's a medium. And she's written a book called What Happens the Day After You Die. And it's not quite what you expect it to be. Um, from, you know, from, from the research I've done on Teresa, she has read, worked with parents of teens that have committed suicide and um, been working with them to help you know, to give some comfort to them. And I think I'll let her tell you, you know, the details on that. But she's done this, you know, she's done this extensive stuff the last few years, and she was able to write a book about what she's done. So, you know, without further ado, let's just, let Teresa explain it all. Hello. Hello. How are How you? How are you? I am awesome. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be on your show. Oh, I'm so glad you came on because I, I I read some of your book. I haven't read it all, but man, I'll tell you, it impacted me. That was the point of the book. The point of the book was to leave an impact. I've written the book about three years ago, and I still have people who read it when it first came out contacting me and telling me, I think about that book every day. I try to employ what I learned from the book in my life every day. It's something that will never leave me. And that was my intent of the book. And the intent of the book is not about teen suicides okay. and what they go through. It's about living the life that you love. It's a suicide prevention book to uh -huh. help people understand the struggles that people face that allow them to, to contemplate suicide and then these young adolescents, because I did so much extensive work with so many families over the years with teens who did commit suicide, what happened when they passed? What mm -hmm. did they have to say? And it, it got overwhelming for me. As you read in the book, um, for a long time writing this book, I didn't sleep. I would write this book in 24, 48-hour clips. And it was a very intensive process to get this book down on paper just the way spirit wanted it just the way these individuals wanted it. So those reading the book would have a positive impact on why they should live the life that they love and what happens when you don't. I understand. Perfect. I understand. You know, I was just looking at the cover of the book and it reminds me of something when I was a, um, 
prime beat reporter for the Mountain Democrat, I mean, for, for the Daily Democrat in Woodland, um, there was an accident involving a teen on a bicycle. And I remember going out, and I was just leaving work, and I got called back. I was halfway home and had to get called back. And I remember the police had those big lights up. And this, this teen had been hit by a tomato truck. And all that was left was the bike was laying on the ground and the tennis shoes. That was the image that was given to me as I was writing the book. That's what they wanted to cover. I am a true medium. Mm -hmm. I allow spirits to step through and communicate their whole story. I don't get in the way. It's my job just to listen and and deliver information, whether it's in the book, in private readings, in open forum events, or like gallery events, which I do a lot of, or I do a lot of virtual. I have a virtual event coming up tomorrow night in which I deal, deliver messages from the other side virtually. And mm -hmm. tickets are still available at TeresaStFrancis.com. My job is to help people heal, help people understand what their loved ones went through to deliver messages from the other side, both in past, present, future, career, health, money, relationships, and most importantly, to help everybody either have closure, healing, and an understanding of their lives or their loved ones that have passed over. In dealing with this kind of thing as a news reporter, I mean, I, I can attest that, especially if it's a, if it's a young person, you know, especially a teenager, how hard it is on the families, you know, to wrap their heads around what happened. It's, it's, uh, it never gets easy. It's unbearable, at least initially. And I, I don't think any parent ever really truly adjusts to not having their child with them, mm -hmm. but they make accommodations. They, mm -hmm. they try to make their life have a purpose or they, a lot of them set up foundations. A lot of them, um, if we look at, um, ones that have hit the headlines, um, and people do foundations, support work, suicide prevention. It's really important. What, that's the reason why Michelle, and she's the lead in the book. Mm -hmm. She's the individual who, who really encourages me to write this book. She brings forth Everybody, everybody from the other side who wants to write this book and wants to have a voice. And my job is to give that voice to those individuals in hopes of when you read the book, you understand how important each one of us are in the world, not just in our own family dynamic, our nuclear family or extended family, but in the world. The world is a complete, and I, and I, I use the term woven canvas Mm -hmm. And each one of us is a thread in that weave. And that thread is interconnected with another thread. And another thread or, or another good analogy is a spider's web. Mm -hmm. You can't cut a piece of the spider's web without, inter, 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 uh, after, without interconnecting all the other lines to affect the whole web. It's the same thing in our lives. We are a fabric of the world. And we are important in our own way. And we, each one of us bring a unique perspective, idea, beauty, light into the world. And it's important. And that was one of the messages in the book that I think people need to really understand. Each one of us mm -hmm. has a importance, whether it's to be in your community, be in your family, to affect the world. We all have a voice and we all have a light. And these adolescents chose to be the ones who speak this conversation because they 
I want to say they weren't tainted as being an adult. You know, when we get to mm-hmm. be adults, sometimes you get to be a little jaded, a little bit, um, I don't know, our belief, belief, belief structures get, get edged. Mm-hmm. Adolescents aren't as edged. They're a mm-hmm. lot more pure. They see the world in a cleaner way. And that's why Spirit chose me to write the book from their perspective so that we can get a pure, pure view of the world and a pure view of our lives here and how important it is. And mm-hmm. I also want to talk about the book from another perspective really sure. quick. It's not just about passing. It's not just about heaven. It's about how to live here, what to do. How do you figure out why you're with your family group, your life path? Your signs that come in, your your I have an enneagram which is teachers, angels, and guides, which is your tag team. That's your spiritual family, and I talk all about that in the book. How they support us, how they interact with us, how they fulfill your life contract. What is your life contract? Mm-hmm. So the book is really I like to think of it as a complete perspective on life, both here in the earthly world and in the afterlife. That, I mean, from, from what I've read already, I mean, I'm glued. I mean, I'll, I'll, after I get off here, I'll be on there all night reading this book because it's just, I'm, I'm glued to it. Um, let's talk about, you know, what what does happen if, if somebody commits suicide like that? Where do they go? I, in fact, I can do this from experience. I had a cousin who was barely 20, and it was around, around this time of year. I think it was like the day before Thanksgiving or two days before. And he took a shotgun and put it in his mouth. You know, this time of the year, I just want to come on, on this before I answer your question. Sure. This time of the year is rough on everybody. Holidays always bring forth some sadness, whether you're missing a loved one that has already passed or a furry family member, a pet. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of the reduction in sunlight, because of daylight savings time in the universe, that also affects us emotionally. So I want to I wanna acknowledge that right now. Um, we're mm-hmm. in a week before Thanksgiving, and this, in on the East Coast anyway, you know, we're starting to see sunset at 3 o'clock. Yeah. You know, so by the time 4 o'clock rolls around, we're at dusk, if not dark. So that affects our temporal lobe. That affects the way we process our emotions, our physicality. It affects our emotions. With that being said, this is the highest time of year that worries me the most, and especially adolescents. What mm-hmm. happens when they pass? One of the first things that happens is you're met by a spiritual family. You're met by your loved ones. You're met by your angels of rescue. I don't, I don't term it angels of death. There is no death. You live on. So I, in the book, talk about the angels of rescue and what they do to help you adjust to the other side. And the other side is an adjustment based on your belief structure. There's one of the founding fundamental principles of the book is it's based on you, not based on what religion says, not based on what your family says, not based on what society says. It's based on what you believe. So if you believe you're going to pass over and you're going to walk through a very devastating hell or darkness or situation, that's what's going to happen. If you believe that your loved ones are going to be there and there's a party, that's what's going to happen. On the other side, your spiritual family, your tag team, your loved ones are already predeceased you, will be there waiting with you with open arms, whether you've taken your life or not. At that point, you'll adjust to the other side. 
and some people take longer, some people take shorter. You go into the healing hospital for a while, and that allows your soul to regain some of its energy, regain some of its composition. And then from that process, things start to change. You start to have a life review. You start to look at life in what I needed to do, what, what still needed to be done. And not to give the entire book away, mm-hmm. but there's a whole process that when you take your own life is different than if you die of natural causes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and it's because, not about judgment at all. Okay. It's because about, I, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. It's because, you know, you, you always hear stories about suicides being caught in like a limbo. You know, where, where, where you know, that, that, like I've heard a story from one individual who says, well, when somebody dies of a suicide, they're in this limbo until they can accept God and all this before they're allowed to cross over. I like your version better. Okay. There's a lot of, I have a lot of, can I just comment on what you said? Just oh, said yeah, before? go ahead. That's um, what we're here for. Okay. Whether you believe in God or not, God doesn't judge you. Okay. Okay. So when you go to the other side, whether you believe in God or not, there's still loving light angels, loved ones, the creator's light and love. They are accessible to you at all times. So that fallacy of if you don't believe in God, you're in limbo. God Mm -hmm. is there no matter what, whatever you've done, you're accepted into God's light. However, once accepted into God's life, there are things that when you write your life contract, you have to fulfill. And in that fulfillment, it's both here and on the other side. When you're doing that life reveal and that fulfillment has not been fulfilled, mm-hmm. that's when things start to turn around. And the individual who committed suicide has to make some adjustments to start working with the earthly realm with people here to fulfill it. And that's part of the premise of the book is that you, it's not like you're judged and you're put off into purgatory in a Catholic way, or you're put put into hell from other predisposed religions. There is no hell. There is not any of that in your decision-making process. When you're on the other side, there are repercussions and there are things that you're going to need to do to rectify your decision because you, you usurped your life contract, you have an agreement with the creator to come here. And within that contract, there are certain predisposed things that were supposed to happen because you designed it that way. And if it doesn't happen, then there is kind of a whole revamping of how do we make it happen? Because it still Mm -hmm. needs to happen because your contract is co-related, co-dependent on other people that came here with you. Hey, yeah, I understand that. I understand that. Now, let's talk a little bit about the repercussions of all this, because, I mean, the family, the family has to cope with what happened. They have to, you know, it's always that that afterthought, what if, what if, what if, what if. So how do you help them calm down from that, you know, well, from that you know, frame of mind? That That's a great question. Thank you. They come for a reading. And in the reading, we talk, I talk to the loved one who's passed. And I asked them, tell me about your life. Tell me what your thought process was. What were you feeling before you passed? What transpired? What caused you to be in such an emotional, psychological way that it drove you to actually commit suicide, actually take your own life? And there's a whole host of reasons. A lot of it, unfortunately, today 
is overdose, drug overdose, didn't realize I was doing it. Some of them took their own lives or tried to previously and were unsuccessful. So there, sometimes there's a shock that mm -hmm. they actually was able to succeed in doing that. It depends on the individual. I've had people, and, and in the book, I don't want to give too much away, but I right, go through right, right. scenarios in the book of why people pass. What causes them to drive them to the brink of not wanting to be here? What situations have they gone through? Right now, in the last couple of years, the biggest propensity for suicides is drug overdose. Mm -hmm. Most of it is, believe it or not, awareness. Most of them do aware. I call them professional drug addicts. These people know how much to take. These people are, as a general rule, 90% of these adolescent kids who commit suicide by drug overdose, I call them the professional because they know they've been using drugs for so long. They know how much to take. They know how much to cut it with. They know just what they've taken before and what works and what doesn't work. So they know where the line is, where the limit is. So okay. when they take their life through drug overdose, it's usually a high awareness of I'm doing this because I want to do it. What pushes someone to that point? You know, especially as a kid, when you've got your whole life ahead of you, I know there's a lot of pressure in school. You know, I get that, especially nowadays. But uh, you know, it just it it, it boggles. Well, I guess I'm asking the same question the parents ask. You know, what would push a kid to that extent? Well, you know, we live in a very pressured society today. Pressure society to be perfect, to be the top of our class. You know, there is a lot of, and even though the world talks about anti-bullying campaigns, uh -huh. there's still a lot of bullying. That plays a big component on self-awareness, self-confidence, feeling like I'm part of. That plays a big part in why I don't want to be here if all those elements are in play. And a lot of times there's a lot of that in play. And it's hard from a teacher, because I also have worked with the education process and uh -huh. working with them to come up with a better awareness, a better plan. But let's be honest, these kids also spend a lot of time in the hallways. They spend a lot of time at lunch. You can't oversee them 100% of the time. So there is still a, a fair amount of bullying and feeling not accepted in my own peer group. And, it, and adolescents need that community. They need to feel I'm part of. Mm -hmm. And you know, growing up, we always, you know, when you're a teenager, there's a sense of rebellion with your parents or your parents don't know how hard it is. You always look to your peer group for validation, for confirmation and comfort. Right. You don't have that. And they're giving you the negative responses to all that, which is bullying, intimidation, making fun of you, making you feel like you're cast out. That's a strong component of why I don't want to be here. And that mm -hmm. breaks my heart to see that happen. I, as a young adolescent, went through that because I've always been a chunky woman. Let me just call a spade a spade. I never fit into a size eight. I don't really thought I was born a size eight. So my whole <laughs> life I've been bullied and made fun of because I've always been a voluptuous woman. So be it. And back when you and I were growing up, it mm -hmm. was even worse yes. than today. Yes. I went to the high school equivalent of 90210 here in Sacramento. Oh, my God. I still feel so bad for you. I feel your pain. You know, we weren't, you know, we were high, we were uh, middle class. My dad did, my, my mom and dad both worked. We did all right. But 
compared to the kids I was going to school with, not even close. So there was a lot of that going on where you could just tell, I mean, people, you know, think about, um, you know, people stare at you. You can tell what how they're feeling. A lot of people say, well, that's BS. It is BS because you can just tell when somebody is like looking down on you. And, and well, let's also talk about the collective group of individuals when you, especially girls. Yes. It's very important to be part of the girls group. And the mean girls and the mean girls, you might, they might look all nice in class and in front of adults, everything is fine. And then behind the scenes, you're dealing with the backlash. Let's, mm -hmm. let's go spade to spade. You can't monitor these, these adolescent kids 24 seven. It's just physically impossible. So a lot of what I still see occurring is the bullying. And unfortunately people are trying to make it better, but I think a lot of it also has to do with, and I'm going to say this, and there are people who won't agree with me. It's the parents' responsibility mm -hmm. to be more engaging and more involved in their child's upbringing. What is your child developing to be? What's the person you hope he or she will be as an adult? What are you teaching them? Are you the bully that you bully your friends or you, you have that in your personality? They've learned from you. And I get a lot of, it's never my child. And I think that's a lot of what the education and social system deals with is a lot of parents never want to admit it's my child. And unfortunately, it's got to be somebody's child to be doing the bullying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it's never just manifested out of magic. So I think there's a lot of that society of it's not my child. And that unfortunately, that becomes a problem when you do have children who are being bullied. Absolutely. I know I had one, one, uh, my, I think it was my junior year or my sophomore year. I had one guy that I was in a band, God forbid, <laughs> you know, and I had one guy that would harass me. And I remember I went to my dad, my, my, thank God, my, thank God my parents were proactive because of course there wasn't any Facebook then either, you know, where, where they can really launch onto you. But he went to the principal and boy, it was taken care of immediately, you know, at that point. But it got to the point where I didn't even want to go to any events at school. I could totally relate and appreciate with that. And a lot of these kids feel the same way. It's the peer pressure. It's sometimes it's the parents. And also, let's be quite frank here. The social media, and I speak a lot in the book about social media. Um, and the interaction, the pros and the cons to social media. Mm -hmm. The great thing is you have a group. But the great thing is when the group's not, you're not part of the group. It's mm -hmm. home in your bedroom. You know, so when you and I were growing up, we were able to leave it at the doorstep of the school, not bring it into our threshold of our home. Now mm -hmm. these kids go from school to home and it's in their bedroom in bed with them at night. So there's mm -hmm. no relief. There's, there is no way to kind of subside that pain and have downtime. That's why parents involvement is integral into their own psycho children's psychological development and awareness. I got one um, person that's watching this says the girls are worse than the boys. Yeah, they are sometimes. The girls yeah. can be really vicious. But like you say, they can't, the kids can't hide from it. They come home. And, you know, once it's on Facebook, it's game over. Right, or Instagram. or, or and it's like, even as a newspaper reporter, we can make mistakes, put corrections in the paper. But once it's in print, boy... Everybody reads it in that you know in that county or whatever, and there's always going to be people that don't read the correction on there, and the poor person is stuck, you know, 
having to deal with, with with that error and it's the same thing with facebook once that goes on to facebook once it goes on to instagram once it goes on to twitter or me we or where the heck ever they're they're hanging out hangouts whatever boom it's game over well and let's let's also talk about that that's an adult reality of a correction as an adolescent because you don't have the brain development you don't have the psychological development they don't they won't take those corrections as valid They'll mm-hmm. say, oh, 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 no, that's not correct. You know, as soon as it's in print, it's almost in cement yep. in these adolescents' minds because they don't have the cognitive ability at their age-appropriate development to accept a change. Mm-hmm. So we, we, I also talk about this in cognitive development in the book as well, you know, is we have to understand the cognitive development of the adolescent mind. And how it, it latches on to things and doesn't let it go. Mm-hmm. And then it feeds upon itself into a cycle of frenzy. And that also becomes a problem in the school system. It becomes a problem in, in this adolescent's life. Of I, 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 It comes home with me. I take it home with me. It's in my society. I've even had parents having to move their children out of one school district into another just so that their child can find peace and find their own self-identity identity and awareness and growth outside of a bullying scenario. So I think bullying is, is still, unfortunately, a real reality. Um, mm-hmm. I also think drugs is a huge reality right now. So everything I wrote in the book, there's been more of a movement of anti-bullying. Mm-hmm. I don't, I think in, in sections of, of the population, it's gotten better. And in other sections and other areas, it hasn't. It also depends on the society you live in. Some places are, are much more interactive and engaging. And other mm-hmm. places in the country or in school districts are not. Not everybody's caught up to evolution. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And then, like you say, and then, you know, with the drug thing, I mean, that's going on in every school. It's not just going on in the, in the, in the like they say, the lowly school, you know, the, the schools in the bad areas. It's going on everywhere. In a lot of ways, it's going on more so in the wealthier schools because they can afford it. Well, kids. and the percentage of suicides in the wealthier schools is higher than in a low-income residential area or school district because the pressures are higher there and these children of money in a, as a general rule not every mm-hmm. but as a general rule are afforded more luxuries and have life easier so they don't understand the struggles and are not equipped to handle mm-hmm. the struggles that life throws at us whereas mm-hmm. somebody who grew up in a lower income more what I'll say is city environment mm-hmm. where it's low income, low income housing, um, city environment. They learn, they know the struggles. They, they've, they have been aware of what it takes to survive. And with that comes a lot of experience, self-knowledge, self-identity. And to be quite frank with you, a depth of strength and courage that is needed to survive not only high school, but the rest of your life. I'm not, and in the book, I talk about that. I talk about in the book on how how to raise your kids, what you need to do, and some of the components of hands-off. You know, these helicopter parents are not doing their children's justice by constantly hovering over and, and smoothing their path. Mm-hmm. Making a child or adolescent's path easy 
enables this child never to have any self-development, no mm -hmm. self-confidence, no self-identity to the point when, when it's challenged in college, you know, you're challenged in the real world, you have no tools to, uh, to address the challenge. My dad always said at the best, he said, I love you, but I'm not one of your schoolmates. I'm not, I'm not your best friend. And that was the way that is the raise to, to raise a child is yeah. parents have to be tough and allow their children to experience life. I find a lot of people, especially the generation, the entitled generation, um, younger parents want to give their kill, kids such an easy life. And in giving mm -hmm. them an easy life, you don't give them the, the lessons they need to learn in order to survive adulthood. Parents should be raising their children. I've said this, I say it in the book, loud and mm -hmm. clear. Parents should be raising their children for adulthood, not mm -hmm. for continual childhood. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a big fallacy in our society when it comes to that, is I'm making my child an easy life. I'm giving him, him or her everything that he or she wants, everything he or she needs. But you're not allowing them to live to learn the lessons that they're going to need to take with them through life. You have to raise them to adulthood, for adulthood, not for mm -hmm. childhood. And that's a big message I wanted to get out in this book. Absolutely. So when you have to, you know, deal with the parent, I mean, when the parents come to you in this situation, I know you don't want to give a lot of weight on the book, but when they come to you and they've got the guilt feelings going on because they don't realize, you know, what happened and you communicate with the child, you know, you, 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 you find out directly from the child, you know, what happened how do you handle it how do you get the parents back on track because to me it'd be a very delicate situation it is a very delicate situation it's a very heartbreaking situation for me it's a heartbreaking situation for them it's a delicate situation because sometimes the information is not what the parent wants to hear mm -hmm. and the amount of guilt a parent carries because they wish they had either seen it known it something that they could have bro broken the cycle or would have stopped their child from taking their life is a very, very hard reality to deal with. And it's, it takes a lot of time. Sometimes it's multiple readings. Sometimes it's the understanding from the parent that the child had certain issues or, or propensity for certain things. And there is peace on the other side. So within mm -hmm. that, depending on the child, some parents find that over time they realize that their child was so troubled that living on the other side has given them much more comfort than if they were living here. That's sometimes a big aspect of it. Also, let's talk about mental issues. Mm -hmm. You know, mental disease is also a part of adolescent suicide as well. Depression, anxiety is a big component here as well. And there are children who deal with very deep-seated anxiety, depression, that sometimes medications don't help. Sometimes there's no refuge from that pain. And parents, and not every parent is unaware of their child's, what's the word I want to say, fascination with suicide. Let me put it that way. Mm -hmm. I've had parents come and say, I know my child tried to take their life several times I, I, and I tried to stop it. So there is an awareness depending on what the situation is. But if those who are un, unaware, it's very difficult. It's heartbreaking. It takes a while 
to come to terms with their passing. But the comfort that I give in the information that I deliver is why. I can answer some of the questions of why, how come, what was the some of the triggers or turning factors that change things. Uh -huh. I can give them comfort in if what they tell me and the life that they're living on the other side. And sometimes it's peace. Sometimes it feels like they're relieved from their their pain. Not that, that I'm an advocate of that at all. You can just leave here because you're so uncomfortable and painful. Mm -hmm. You asked me the question. So this is some of the things that I deliver on the other side. Is it easy? No. It's very difficult. It's very heartbreaking. Because um, no, no parent ever wants to talk about their child not being here, not loving them, not having grandchildren, not, not having the nucleus of the family that they had hoped to have for the, their entire life. You know, there is a saying, you know, the worst thing that can happen to a parent is the child dies before the parent. Mm -hmm. And that, that it, it is very heartbreaking. It's, and I find also it breaks families apart. That's the other sad part of all this. Often I find that the parental figures wind up going their separate ways for a whole host of reasons, but it definitely devastates the family dynamic. You know, I, as, as a medium, and I know how energy can get sucked out of you. I call it getting goosed by a ghost, you know, when I'm ghost hunting. How do you counter that energy? Because you're dealing with that all the time. Um, I'm exhausted all the time. Um, it's, it, I know my life contract. My life contract was to come here and help people and animals heal. Mm -hmm. My job here is to bring comfort, to bring clarity, closure, healing into these situations where there isn't any. Writing the book was one aspect of it. Doing the readings is another. I'm also a healer. Um, today, just for an example, I'm also sure. an animal communicator. I spent the afternoon talking to horses. Um, at, at a barn and which was wonderful um, for their owners. So, I mean, I was exhausted. I actually took a three hour nap before I came on live here um, <laughs> because it is so exhausting for me mm -hmm. because I get into the energy of the animal and that connection is a heart and mind connection. And that mm -hmm. energy exchange is exhausting for me, but I love doing it. It's the same thing with people. I get into that connection. I am just a conduit like the telephone, and I pass the information along. It's exhausting. And a lot of the times it's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. but I try to keep my professional side to it and try to do the absolute best that I can. So when a client leaves my office, there's a measure of closure, healing, peace mm -hmm. with the situation. Sometimes it takes several reading. Sometimes it's one time. It depends on the parents. And more often than not, it's mostly moms I see. It's very rare I see a dad in my office. Most of my clientele hmm. is female. Just Maybe because they carry more of the guilt. Plus the mom's closer to the kids. I, I, I hate to say it that way, but most fathers are busy doing their thing, you know, and out the door going to work or whatever it is they do. And, and the mother has has a lot more contact with, with the child. I, but I think women are more open and 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 what's the looking for answers than the mm -hmm. father, fathers are. I'm not saying all fathers, but right. I am saying as a general rule, dads go through their grieving process more internally and, and are more secluded. They'll do the caveman thing. I call it 
whereas moms will do more of a community, want to understand, want to have that connection and, and maintain that connection. In the readings, I also talk about how their children stay connected with them, what signs that the, these adolescents leave for them, how they walk in their lives. I talk about specific situations where I wouldn't know what was going on in, in, in this in the mom's life. And it gives the mom validation that her child is with her. And I think that is the biggest gift I can give my mm -hmm. client is letting them know through specific detail conversation that their child is always with them, that they walk with them. They sit with them when they watch TV, they send them signs, whether it be a cardinal, a penny. Uh, I had a client and I'll, and I'll share this with you. This is sure. one of the, the funniest. I had a client who her son was very funny, very animated. And he, he reminded me of Robin Williams because he was really a character, very vivacious, very funny. He, he was the clown. Everybody loved him, but he dealt with very severe depression and anxiety. And he self-medicated through drugs to deal with that. Huh. Never really shared it with his family. Um, to the depth to which he was dealing with it. When he took his own life and he passed over, I had to sit with his mom and, and speak to all this. But one of the things that he constantly would do is he ch constantly chased the dog around the house. Constantly. And before he passed, the dog really wouldn't run around the house. So now when she sees the dog running around the house, she knows her son's with her chasing the dog around the house. Nice. So it's another way. And each spirit comes across, each adolescent comes across engaging in a different way, wanting to leave different signs for their parents. Um, I had another client who constantly finds golf balls in the house. N neither her or her husband golf. But her son used to be a caddy on the golf course before cool. he passed. So what does he do? He thinks it's funny because she has all wood floors. He starts the golf ball at the top of the stairs <laughs> and goes all the way down. Nice. That's his <laughs> so, so are they willing, uh, real, real quick, not to interrupt, but when you first communicate with them after they have committed suicide like that, are, are they open to talking to you right away or do you, does it take some coaxing or it takes a while? You know, everybody's different. You know, some some are a little bit easier with it. Some don't want. Some some are not sure where they are yet. Some mm -hmm. need time to process that they've passed. Um, it's really no different than human beings in the sense of um, how we interface with our lives. Some people are a little bit more hesitant. Some people are a little bit more reserved. Some people are more open. Depends on the personality. Okay. Okay. You know, I'll give, I'm going to share a quick story with you today. Sure. As I, said, I went to the horse barn, I, and I read many horses. There was one horse named Cody who didn't want to talk to me, refused to have a conversation with me, came up to me. I, I gave him a treat. We engaged. He's like, oh, no, F you. I'm done. And he backed himself out of the stall and trotted down the hall. <laughs> so it just like. People and animals, everybody's got their own personality, and it's free will. We have free will here, and we have free will on the other side. You can choose to talk to me or not. I don't force this conversation. This is not mm -hmm. anything I force on spirit. I don't force it on animals. I give them the freedom, just like the creator gave me the freedom of all these gifts. 
I use those gifts to give the individuals the freedom to either use those gifts so we can exchange in a conversation or dialogue uh -huh. or not. Okay. As gifted as you are, obviously, have you ever had a case where um, the person that had committed suicide contacted you before the parents showed up? All the time here. My house okay. at night is Grand Central Station. Um, it's very, there are nights, not last night. Last night I got to sleep the night before I was up all night long dealing with spirit. Um, because part of my private work is helping those individuals who've passed, who don't realize they've passed. So even though they took their lives, some of them don't have that cognizant reality because they were either out of their mind on drugs or mm -hmm. in pain emotionally that it drove them to a, a decision that was so impulsive they didn't realize they followed through with it. Mm -hmm. So yes, I um, often have in my house is Grand Central Station. Um, even though my bedroom is sanctuary, it doesn't change the fact that spirit pulls me out of my room and I have to talk to this one. I have to talk to that one, especially when it, there are, tragedies like mass murders or 9-11 or situations of that nature where multiple people have passed in a grouping. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes I get one or two of those here as well um, because of the situation. They didn't realize they passed. So my job as a medium privately is to help those individuals understand that they're in heaven, that they are with loved ones on the other side. I work with a lot of kids um, especially, um, during the holidays, for some reason, kids come to me and my house is full of, of kids vibration. Um, usually children who are really young don't realize they've passed and mm -hmm. don't have a reference point to connect with a loved one on the other side because most of their family is still here. So when they get to the other side, they see the angels, they see their tag team. They don't have anybody mm -hmm. else that they know. So okay. I'll step in and be that liaison. Okay, cool. That's why I wanted to ask that. In fact, while you were talking about uh, people not realizing that they had, they crossed the other side, how um, what's that like for them? Because I mean, that's something that people think about all the time. That maybe you, you're in a you're in an instant car accident, something happens to you, you don't realize that you're dead. What is that like for people? Shock, shock and awe. And I explain that this way to everybody. Mm -hmm. Imagine you're sleeping and you wake up the next morning and we have just literally physically dropped you into Japan. You don't know the language. You don't know the currency. You don't know the culture and you can't read anything because it's in a totally different format. What do you do? Who do you contact? Mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you place a phone call? How do you connect with anybody? It's the same shock and awe on the other side when somebody passes unexpectedly. So there are mediums like myself. I've seen some others out there um, that myself specifically, my job is I'll sit with that person. Sometimes they'll come through multiple nights and we'll talk about their life. We'll talk about what happened to them. Mm -hmm. They might not want to talk about what happened to them, but I, ha I will have to help them adjust to they are no longer here. They often find themselves back in their life, in their home in their environment, going back to work. And that adjustment of, of, of spirit, myself, helping them understand that that's not accessible anymore. It takes time. 
So is it is it a situation where even though they go back, they can't really do anything? Well, how many times you've heard people, whether it's at home or at work, things get pushed, computer right. blunks down or goes wacky. They try to in, in, inter, they try to affect an, an, an exchange in, in an interdynamic way mm -hmm. to think that they're still alive. So okay. even though they don't have the physical body, remember. It's energy. Energy passes through dimension. It passes through the veil. And the veil between earth and spirit is what keeps that dimension going. Unfortunately, lately, the veil is much thinner. And especially over the last 30 years, I hear a lot of people tell me that they had a, a visit from their loved ones as soon as they passed or they saw them before they passed and they might not have been in the same state, in the same mm -hmm. country. Or after they've passed, they've actually physically seen an apparition or they've smelt them, you know, as we evolve in the awareness that the afterlife and that there is a spiritual exchange and an energy exchange, you have a soul, people are more aware of that. So spirit comes more because they know that they can. Okay. Okay. You know, experience. Go ahead. You do the paranormal. It's kind yeah. of different in that regard. Um, mm -hmm. you do, and I do the paranormal too, but I do it privately. I do houses and businesses, but I vanquish. I get rid of spirit. I don't, sure. I don't engage in that. Let's, let's see who's here. I go under the premise, premise of, I know you're here. Yeah. I talk to you. I see you. Now the phone owners or family or whoever is in the environment wants you gone. Now my job is to help you go over. And mm -hmm. sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's not, but it's, that reality and i'm sure you're aware of historical residue and for those of you who don't know what historical residue is it's the it's the situations that surrounded the individual's life that they connect with is why they come back from spirit to engage in and they'll usually repeat that you know civil war battles is famous for historical residue haunted houses or mansions are famous for historical residue mm -hmm. old museums hotels um famous for historical resident same situation i have a question in the chat room says can they make you smell cigarettes they can make you smell cigarettes cigars my house these last couple of days have been filled with all kinds of beautiful flowers they can do anything depending on how evolved they are and how accepting you are now i can honestly say this i did this because being a ghost investigator like you, I know some of the stuff that, you know, the, the smells that can come after somebody dies and whatnot. After my mother passed away, I bathed her. I bathed her in a certain soap so that when she does come around, I know it's her. And it's really a comforting feeling because okay, we were really into Halloween in this family. I set up all my stuff in the front yard. I was out front taking video. Sure enough, there she is walking behind me, you know, or walking with me the whole time. So that was the best thing I could have done because I can tell when she's here and when she's not here. That's what they do. And it's, and, and it's specific to you. You know, mm -hmm. and you were smart enough to have that pre-designed before she passed so mm -hmm. that it would give you comfort as you go through your grieving process. Yes. So I give you great accolades for that. You know, and also it allows her to connect with you easier. Because now mm -hmm. she knows this is what we use. Oftentimes I find it difficult with people who don't set up those signs, don't have that precognitive 
understanding that the struggle is how do I know my loved one is with me? Right. I you and and I'll tell them and and they'll eventually it'll settle in. But I also encourage a lot of my clients, you know, if you have a loved one that's getting ready to pass, or you know that somebody is sick, or you have an elder parent, set up something, set up a smell, set up a word, set and I Words are a little bit hard sometimes, especially when they're newly over. So I always suggest that the things I suggest is a smell or a sound or numbers. Numbers are very easy for them too. So set up something so that when they pass and you start seeing this sign that you've established between the two of you, you know it's them. It gives great peace. It allows the grieving process to not be so intensive because then you really know that life does, does move on. They trans, trans, what's the word I want to say? Transmit from the other side. Mm-hmm. Now, does it take them, um, like like we were just talking about, the, the ones that don't realize they're gone, does it take them a while to figure out that they can actually communicate with, with this side? Um, it takes them a lot because they have to adjust first. And, okay. and some people, it takes years. I mean, I've talked to spirits where it's been hundreds of years and they're still not adjusted the other side. That usually falls also in the category of haunted houses and mm-hmm. historical residue and that whole f- phenomena. Um, and others, much quicker. Everybody gets to go at their own pace. There is no formal blueprint or instruction manual when you get to the other side that says, this is what it's expected of you. Here's your time frames. Here's your mile markers. Here's your certificate of graduation. doesn't work like that. Okay. This I always wondered about, you know, how long it takes for people to to, to figure that out. And I, I could see how it could take years. You know, it depends on the person and, and, and the, the person. condition. Well, and also let's talk about we also have grandparents and parents who are older and that and the spiritual awakening. Let, let me just backtrack a quick second. Okay, okay. The spiritual awakening is really only happened in the middle eighties. Seriously. Where where we're understanding that our souls transgress to the afterlife, that there is an afterlife, that it does engage, that it is engaging, that they do send signs. That's only really in the consciousness of society, especially in the United States. So it's only the middle eighties. So our parents and grandparents still believe in hell on the other side, that there is Mm -hmm. no life after death. There's still a large consciousness of that belief structure based on their growing up based of their society's evolution. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget that. So that plays a big part in the migration of their soul on the other side. Because mm-hmm. they're trying to come to terms with the way it is. Instead right. of how they know. Right. Correct. Because what they have been taught, what they believe and how it is, is dynam- dynamically opposite of what they know. You know, and you can talk to them, and I've had people I talk to who are in their 80s, 90s, and they believe they die and that's it. Mm-hmm. And then they come back and they realize, oh, no, it's not not it, but it, there's still a period of adjustment, and everybody gets to go at their own pace. On the other side, you have free will. That free will is also a component of going at your own pace, whatever pace that is for your personality because your personality transcends time you are you take your love and your experiences by the way for those of you who believe there's an atm at st peter's gate i'm, I'm telling you it's broken <laughs> <laughs> um 
Is there is there a bright light like they say there is? Oh, there's a bright light every day. Okay. Every day we are bright lights. It's the we I'm gonna give you a concept and I want you to think about it. Okay. We are the only we us and and animals, especially mammals, are the only creator's light that's brought into this world. How else does the creator's light get here? We are the bright lights. Okay. And when you go to the other side, you live in light. You live in love. It's a, a dimension full of that. Not a dimension like we live in here where it's darkness and negativity. That doesn't exist there. Okay. Okay. The other question I have is I know my mother towards the end of her life, I mean, probably the last four or five months, was starting to see her relatives a lot more. Do our psychic abilities get heightened at that, po at that point when, when, when we're near death? Or is it just a case where they, they want to come to comfort us to, ha to, to help us cross? Um, really great question. I, I like that question. Thanks. Um, it really comes down to when a loved one is ill and their soul is getting ready to take the transition, spirit allows the veil to thin, if not almost non-existent. So their loved ones, whether it's their mother, their father, siblings, friends, or even pets come through on a regular basis to them to open up that gateway mm -hmm. that bridge to accept them on the other side and it allows them to transition with ease that they know that there's somebody waiting for them they know that they're being accepted those loved ones too are also talking to them about what's life like on the other side what they can expect how they can expect to feel mm -hmm. and especially if there's loved ones here that are hesitant that are holding on for a family member or I've had people hold on for their pets. I've had people hold on for their money. I, I don't agree with it, but I'm just telling you my experience. Um, really weird situations. When loved ones come prior to their passing, it's really helping them to adjust, to assimilate to when the process is final. This is how it goes. So it, it's, it's almost like being in school for a little bit. It's the education process of how I transition to the other side. Now, with that being said, also let's also keep in mind, the more open you are mm -hmm. to the whole spiritual that they are here, the easier the transition is for you, meaning when you're getting ready to pass, mm -hmm. and the loved one's easier for them to come. So it's actually quite often that I hear that all the time. And I do sit at a lot of clients' beds I've had quite a few clients during my career call for me when they're passing. Their family would get on the phone and like, hey, my loved one. I had one recently. Hey, my wife is getting ready to pass. She adored you. She came for readings. She's asking for you. I want to let you know she's on her deathbed. So I want to give you the option to not come because it's bad, but she's asking for you. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm, I'm there. So I got in my car. I went. I sat on her bed. And her and I talked until she passed. I helped her pass to the other side. That That is also part of my gift in this world is to help those who are scared. You know, she had cancer for several years. She fought four different types of cancer in her life. So she's leaving young kids behind. There's a lot of anticipation and trepidation about her whole life. You know, she's closing one life and moving to another, leaving behind a lot of uh, life. 
Understood, understood. I noticed with my mother when she passed, she it's like she fell asleep, her eyes were shut. My father, who was in the hospital, somebody came to get him. Because when you looked at his eyes when he passed, they were looking off to the side of the room. So it was mother or somebody came to get him. So do people come, did, did your relatives do come to get you to take you over? Absolutely. They're the first ones who will, but I, in the book I talk about the angels of rescue and the group that comes uh -huh. with it. And I, you, we probably haven't gotten to that part of the book yet. No, it's, it's further, further, um, in deeper into the book. So it's part of the latter chapters, but I talk about the angels of rescue and, and why they come and how they come and the for, formation of the group for your loved one to help them transition. Now I've had people have their parents come, have their siblings come. I've also had people come just their dogs or just their cats. So it's whatever the individual needs, the creator and the angels of rescue will provide so that helps them transition. I had one woman who transitioned. She was terrified of passing. And I sat in her deathbed and I know she loved, 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 loved slots. So we opened the gateway up and we created a casino for her. So oh, that cool. transitioned over, there was the casino. And it made it so much easier for her. She was happy. She adjusted. She came back to me. And she's like, I want to thank you so much. I was so scared. You held my hand the whole time. And then I moved to the casino. And I just felt that was the place I felt the most peaceful. in here on earth for her. So then making that duplicate on the other side made it much easier for her. That is really cool. Really cool, right? Really cool. Yeah, that's really cool. So everybody needs something to transition, whether it's a situation, a person, a feeling. The creator doesn't care. Just as long as the transition is in love and light and helps this individual pass. Well, I admire what you do. Oh, thank you. And after reading what I have read on this book, I really admire what you do because it, it takes a lot out of you, and it's it's very stressful to deal with that. And like I, I said, I know it from just being a newspaper reporter and talking to families like this or talking to the families of, of, of murder victims and stuff. It is very, very stressful and very, very energy-draining, and, and I, I just totally admire you. Well, thank you so much, and I admire you for the work that you do. You know, I know you pass people over when you're out ghost hunting. You do. You got, you got in my head. Yes. <laughs> yes, we do, yeah. In your field. So yeah. you pass people over. You help them transition. So yes. thank you for the work that you do. All of us need to help each other because we are all integrated into this fabric of the world. That's why you can't take your life because even though it's bad today, you don't know what tomorrow is. No. You don't know what a month from now is. You don't know what six months is. You don't know how the universe can transform your life if you let it in. And the universe brings you people. You know, we all meet new people every day. Some people stay for an hour, some for a day, some for a month, some forever. But those people that come in are, are sometimes human angels, sometimes guides, sometimes teachers, help us along in our journey. And that's what I try to teach these adolescents when I talk to the adolescents about not taking their life is life is not today, mm -hmm. even though you're embedded in today mm -hmm. and you feel like there is no tomorrow, but you, there is a tomorrow because of your spiritual tag team, because of the unknown.
the unknown can bring in a whirlwind of change. And I know it's hard for kids. Let's be honest. You and I both grew up having issues in high school. High yes. school is, is, you want to talk about hell? That's hell. That's a walking, living hell. You survive high school, it's pretty much an easier journey. Right. I agree. I agree. How can people reach you? I have a website, TeresaStFrancis.com. They can call my office at 201-475-1044. I'm on Facebook at Teresa Communicate. Um, all that information is on my website. I have an open forum, a virtual open forum. So no matter where you live in the world, you, you can connect into the event tomorrow night. You can buy tickets on my website. And I'll be doing readings, delivering messages from the afterlife, both from family, friends, I'm always my dearest of heart, furry family members. My my heart is always with the animals. Um, I'm an animal lover too. I am I, I um psychic medium, animal communicator, author. And my, my philosophy is just don't don't call me late for dinner, but other than that, we're good. I like your energy. Where, where where can we get your books? You can get my book. My book is found on my website. It's also purchased through Amazon.com. What okay. happened the day after? I'm also in the process of beginning and writing another book. Right. So if anybody has any questions that they'd like answered, I'm collecting questions. It's going to be a question and answer book. Um, I always get barraged with tons of questions. So I thought this would be a nice way to have an easy read and disseminate some information and help, help people think and heal. Terrific. I would love to talk with you again sometime. Oh my gosh. This was back. so fun. We got to talk. Fun. It was serious, but it was fun. You know what I mean? You know, you and I got to talk about paranormal stuff. We have to have a, a show just about what really goes on because you're a medium too. You're just yes, a medium in your own way. Yes. We I don't admit to it, but I am. Yeah. We got to have a conversation. Two mediums talking real. There you go. There you go. Yep. And I can tell you, I live in a very active house, so it's it's it's, it's, it's great. You talk about Grand Central Station. That's what you and I talk. We should have a show so everybody can kind of see what a life is like being a medium. There we go. All right, sounds good to me. We'll do that. All right. All right, thank Teresa. Thank you so much. Have a good Thanksgiving. Thank you. You too. You told your listeners Happy Thanksgiving. Also, always know that your family and friends in the heavens are with you, supporting you, loving you. Your spiritual family never leaves you. And if you need them, take a moment, especially in this crazy world we live in. Take a moment, sit in your favorite chair, pull your favorite blanket up, grab your favorite drink, whether it's coffee or liquor, I don't care, and take a deep breath and ask them to sit with you. To sit in that moment. Find the comfort and joy in that moment. I can attest to that. I can attest to that. My mother was a big Oakland A's baseball fan, and when I watch the games, I can hear her laughing, or she'll make a comment about it. Or she used to, when we used to go to movies, she used to put her, because she had nails, you know, I she used to put her hand in my hand a certain way, and I, I'd be, I, I'll be sitting here, and I can feel her her, her hand in my hand when she's she sitting here. She also FYI, she just stepped forward, she has to cut out the French fries. <laughs> Okay, I can do that. <laughs> That's funny. You've been eating a lot of French fries, fries lately. She knows I like my fries, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cool? Yeah. Cool. She doesn't miss a trick. She doesn't. She's here all the time with me. And, oh, by the way, she says to me, too, 
now you understand why sometimes she wore house dresses. Yes, I get it. You get it now because you used to make fun of her back then. Yeah, I get yeah. it now. I get, now it now. You get it now. Yeah, I got it now. <laughs> Thank you so much, Teresa. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I look forward to coming on and again. We'll have a great time. Let's talk about being a medium. Sounds good. We'll do that. Have a good one. Everybody, have a great Thanksgiving. Know that your friends, family, furry parents, family members from heaven are sitting at the table with you. Say a prayer with them, and they'll be with you forever. Thank you again. You've been a great Thank order. you. Namaste. Thank you. You've been a great guest. Thank you. Have Thank a good you. one. Bye-bye. Wow. That's all I can say is, wow, that was a great show. I hope, I, I hope she comes on again because that would be wonderful. Because she was right spot on. I am a medium. I just don't practice it as much as she practices it. But I am a medium. Um, guys, I want to remind you, Sunday at 6.30, I'm going to be reading from Dickens' Christmas Carol. I'm trying to do this every Sunday leading up to Christmas. Kind of like a little treat thing. I've been dying to do this for years. Dying's a horrible word. But I've been trying to do this for a couple of years. And with this show, you know, I was able to do it. We did it last weekend. Unfortunately, it was Google Books, and I couldn't really read the thing. I was struggling. Downloaded one from Amazon. I'm good to go. So join me Sunday at the same time at 6.30 p.m. Pacific uh, for A Christmas Carol. I, I believe we're in Chapter 2. I'm going to try and get through two, Chapters 2 and 3. So uh, join me for that. Get some popcorn. Get, you know, get some hot cocoa or whatever you need to get. And uh, join me, because it's going to be a really uh, fun, fun event for everybody to sit down by the fire and, and enjoy Christmas. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We're equal opportunity here, <laughs> and we're trying to get the word out more and more and more, and you guys are doing a fantastic job doing that, and I really appreciate it. But we still got to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. YouTube, we do not have a... Uh, certified URL on YouTube yet, and uh, we're working up towards that. So if you could find it in your heart to subscribe on YouTube, that would be great. The only issue with that is because we don't have that dedicated URL, you cannot find us to save your life. So what you need to do is you go to our website at www.CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com and click on the uh, video that's there. In fact, you can even go up to the archives and see all our shows for the past year and a half. Because, and, as you know, well, as some of you don't know, we've been on the air off and on for about 15 years, and we were on Block Talk Radio for many, many years. So if you want to find some older shows that we did, check out Block Talk Radio as well under California Haunts Radio because we're there too. But uh, I switched to this format back a year ago, September, and we're doing really good, and I'm enjoying it. I love bringing these shows to you. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Also, as you can see by the bottom, I'm running a little thing to help us bring more exciting guests or just like 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 Teresa to the show. Uh, but the issue is that, that California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team is nonprofit. So everything comes out of my pocket. So all the internet fees, everything you see here, mics, everything comes out of my pocket. If you can find it in your heart to donate a little bit to us, I'd appreciate it to keep this stuff on the air at paypal.me at California Haunts. Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and run the information for Teresa's website and where to get her book uh, right now. And then I'm going to call it today, and I'll see you guys Sunday at 630. Websites, TeresaFrancis.com. Facebook.com, TeresaFrancis.njs. And the book is What Happens the Day After. And the book is available at Amazon.
Oh, I also want to remind everybody, uh, Monday's guest, we're going to have Lori Spagn is going to be on. She is a pet psychic. So we are going to be, have, she might just do a few readings for your deceased pets if we're nice to her and, you know, just give your first name and all that good stuff. So uh, we will be seeing Lori on Monday. Anyway, I want to say, I want to say good night. I'll see you guys on Sunday. Have a good evening. <laughs>